Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, welcome, welcome everybody. Thank you for being here this morning. Great to have you back here at Grace Crossing Church, where we welcome you. If uh, you're new to our church, or maybe this is your first week attending, we want to thank you for being here. So we're in a series called Seasons. And uh, before we jump into this morning's topic, I, I want to just uh, ask you a few questions that I'd like you to respond to by an upraised hand. Okay, if you fit into this category, I- I'd like you to just raise your hand to these questions. If you are here and you are married and someday you are planning to cheat on your spouse, let me see your hand if that's you. Is there anybody here? Anybody in the auditorium that would say that's the category I'm, I find myself in? Nobody? Okay, how about this one? How about if you're here today and there is a day coming that you are planning to embezzle large sums of money from your employer? Can I see your hand if that's you? Find yourself there in that category? Anybody? Nobody? Okay. How about if you're here this morning and you at some point in your life have every intention to get addicted to a life-controlling substance and have your life spin out of control? Can I see your hand if that's you? You're planning to do that someday. Anybody? No takers? None of us plan for those sorts of things to happen, do we? And yet, how often do those things occur? Every day, people are making those sorts of decisions. And there is a reason for it. And so this morning, as we continue this series, Seasons, I want to speak on the topic, Seasons of Temptation. Seasons of temptation. Don't you wish that when it comes to temptations, don't you wish that every temptation came clearly labeled? My wife buys treats for our cats every so often, and here's the name of the treats that she'll pick up from time to time. You know, it'd be so helpful, wouldn't it, if temptations came really easy to spot like that. The truth is, they don't. Those seasons often catch us somewhat by surprise, but we, none of us, should be fully surprised that we will walk through seasons of temptation. James chapter 1 actually lays and builds the case for this in its very first word in James 1.13, when. It does not say if, It says when. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, I want you to juxtapose that verse with how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 6. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. And here's what verse 13 says. Many of us know this Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So let me get this straight. God doesn't tempt anyone, and yet God leads us. In fact, God can lead us into any and all sorts of seasons He can even lead us into seasons of temptation. And he often does. 
And if this morning you're in this auditorium and you're saying to yourself right now, there is no way God would ever lead me into a season of temptation, all you need to do is take a look at God's Son and see what He experienced. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse number 1 and verse number 2 tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Are we reading that correctly? How is it that Jesus could be full of God and yet filled with temptation? And who is involved in the process of leading Jesus Christ, God's Son, into this experience, into this season? It's God the Father. Now, it is important for us to note here at the beginning of this talk that when the Bible uses the word temptation, it often uses it interchangeably throughout Scripture with the word testing. So make no mistake about it. When you are being tempted, you are also being tested. A temptation is simply a form of testing. In Jesus' case, his temptation was all about testing him. And the same is true for the children of Israel as they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. For the Bible tells us there was a purpose for the wandering. God was up to something. And as with every season we've talked about, seasons of transition, seasons of discontentment, seasons of waiting, seasons of temptation have a way of revealing something. Deuteronomy chapter 8 tells us what God's up to. Remember how the Lord, your God, led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Don't miss that. Seasons of temptation are God's way of revealing the content of our hearts. It is God's way of exposing and laying bare our character. And what does God often do to reveal to us what's inside of our heart? God actually allows us to experience certain circumstances. Because the circumstances of our life have a way of getting out of us what is in us, don't they? So if I took the lid off my water bottle this morning and I started to shake this like a madman, may ask yourself the question, um, why in the world, first of all, you were in the splash zone, you'd be asking, what's he doing this morning, right? But we might ask ourselves the question, why did the water come out of the bottle? You could say, well, he took the lid off. There's partial truth to that. You could also say the water came out of the bottle because he shook the bottle, and there would be truth there. But there's a deeper truth to it, and it's this. The reason the water would come out is because it's in there. It is the shaking of life, the circumstances of life that reveal the content 
of our character. They reveal the content of the human heart. Like nothing else, seasons of temptation have a way of showing us what's inside of us. And seasons of temptation level the playing field. Every single one of us in this auditorium will at some point experience a season of temptation. It may be for four days. It may be for 40 days. It may be for 400 days. But you can guarantee it. And here's the reason why. Because part of becoming like Jesus is being tempted like Jesus. Part of becoming like Jesus is being tempted like Jesus. There are some people that believe that the moment you give your life to Christ, start attending church faithfully, that there should be a decrease in temptation. That all of a sudden you should not be experiencing the kind of draw into things that you were once maybe drawn into. But the reality is, I think the temperature gets turned up the moment that we surrender our lives to Christ. Number one, we become more aware of our own self. We become more aware of the things around us that maybe never really got our attention. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. That's good news and it's bad news. First, the bad news. You and I will never outgrow temptation. We are naive if we think that getting saved or getting baptized or getting married or even getting ordained to the ministry will remove temptation. I hope this doesn't disappoint you, but I face temptations. Because before I'm a pastor, I'm a human being. And, and if we think for just a moment that Jesus was tempted, but we will not be, it is 100% guarantee that we're going to go through temptations. And so though we may grow in how we experience and how we respond to temptations, we will never outgrow temptations in our life. But here's the upside of it. And this is what's revealed in the text there in Deuteronomy. The upside is this. Temptation is not only an obstacle, it is also a tremendous opportunity. Temptation, you can think of it like this, is sort of a spiritual compliment. It is God's way of saying, I have confidence in you that you are going to make the choice that is obedient not the choice that is convenient. God is all about our character development. And don't look now, but character development requires a choice, and temptation provides us the opportunity to choose. Think about it. You can never say that you are faithful unless you say no and resist the temptation to be unfaithful. There is no way to be a person who claims to be a loyal individual unless you've had opportunities to be disloyal. We can't claim to be honest people unless we have resisted the temptation to be dishonest, right? 
and we don't build lives of integrity, of people that keep our promises unless we have the potential to break our promises. So temptation is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to choose God, and sometimes God leads us into seasons of temptation to give us the choice of character development. There is a stunning illustration of this in the Gospels. Jesus is building his enterprise that has become the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He chooses three, 12 men to become part of his enterprise for three years. And just like the local church today, Jesus' ministry, earthly ministry, is completely 100% funded by friends and people that are family members that believe in what he's doing. And so like every great organization, Jesus knew that he needed to have someone who would be responsible for the fiduciary uh, oversight of the organization. And so guess who he pegs in the organization to become the treasurer? Judas. Judas Iscariot. Yep, that Judas. The one that betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. One day, Jesus is with his disciples, and a woman walks into where they were, and she breaks a jar of expensive perfume, pours it over the feet of Jesus, and Judas has a cow. John's gospel, chapter 12, actually says this. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold? And the money given to the poor. It was worth a, a year's wages. Notice this. He did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. That's startling to me. That's a tremendous illustration of what we're talking about this morning. Why would Jesus... Take one of the 12, being Judas, knowing the content of his heart, and make him the treasurer. It's because Jesus wanted to give him an opportunity to build character, to make the right decision, even in those seasons of temptation. Here's what I want you to hear this morning. Temptations will do one of two things to your relationship with God. Temptations will either derail it or temptations will deepen it. One or the other. In Judas's case, temptation derailed it. But in Jesus' case, temptation deepened it. It deepened his resolve. And it thrust him into his public ministry where he lived out his identity as God's son. And so let's return to his temptation because he only got deepened in it, but we learn some powerful principles about seasons of temptation from Jesus' story. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, verse number 2 tells us what happened. Jesus ate nothing during that time. And when those days were ended, he was very hungry. And so where does Satan show up? to tempt him, to test him. 
Verse number three in the message tells us, the devil playing on his hunger gave the first test. Since you are God's son, command this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Now, temptation is not rocket science. Neither is sin. Jesus had an unmet need, and it was a legitimate need. Jesus goes 40 days without any physical substance, and the Bible says that he experiences a need, an unmet need, a legitimate need that Satan plays on. And the reality is this, Satan will always meet us at the point where we are most vulnerable, the place that we are most vulnerable. So this might be a really good place in this talk this morning to give you two definitions, a definition for sin and a definition for temptation. Are you ready? What is sin? Sin is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Sin is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And what is temptation? Temptation is an influence that comes from the person of Satan impacting on our mind to think and act in illegitimate ways. I'm going to give that to you one more time. Sin is meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Anytime we are drawn to try to produce something, experience something in an illegitimate way, we sin. We fall short of God's plan for us. And where does temptation come from? How does it operate? Temptation is an influence that comes from Satan, impacting on our mind to think and act in illegitimate ways. Now there's an illustration for this about marriage that we read about in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, here's what Paul says. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. And the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There are times in our lives, even in our marriage, that God will call us to a season of a higher pursuit, something that will bring us more pleasure than anything can in this life. But here's the caution. If we are here and we are married, the caution is, if it is extended for too long of a period of time, you will find yourself desiring to have a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. We should not be foolish to the ways that the enemy likes to work in our lives as human beings. He will always tempt us at the point of legitimate needs, but he'll always dangle the carrot of saying, listen, there is a quick fix. There is a way you can get what you need more quickly than having to wait. And that's the second thing I want you to note about the temptations that Satan brings to Jesus. 
back in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verses uh, 5 through 7. The Bible says that Satan had tempted it twice, and then he does this. The devil led him to the high place and showed him, in an instant, all of the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all of their authority and their splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. The reason that temptation is about meeting legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, and the way that Satan tries to tempt us is this. Temptation is all about getting us to take shortcuts. To get what we deserve or what's coming to us, but to do it at a time and in a way that is inappropriate. The kingdoms of the world belong to Jesus. And he knew it. And what Satan is doing here is he's saying this, you can have it now without without having to go to the cross. You don't even have to give your life. I will give it over to you. There's just one small little caveat. All I'll ask of you is that you bow and worship me. And you do that and I'll give you every kingdom of this world without you having to die on a cross. It was about shortcuts. It was about taking the convenient path over the obedient path. And seasons of temptation will always draw us to look for the shortcuts. They'll always draw us to have our legitimate needs met in illegitimate ways. Now, let's fast forward to the end of the story because the end of the story is incredible. At the end of his time in the wilderness, here's what it says in verse number 14, Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus was already full of the Holy Spirit. Now he is living through the power of the Spirit that lies within him. If you and I want to experience the fullness of God's power, It means that God is going to, just like Jesus, lead us at time through seasons of temptation where God is going to test our character, the content of our hearts. He's going to shake us, spiritually speaking, so that he can get us to a place of being more like his son. So you and I cannot go around seasons of temptation. We have to walk through them. And we have to go through them with the confidence that God's with us. So how do we endure? If you're here in this auditorium this morning and you find yourself in a season of temptation, how do you endure and stay strong and steady with the Lord during that season? I want to give you three principles. Three things that I would encourage you to do this morning if you find yourself living in that season. And if you don't, take note. Because there'll come a day where you're going to need God's help in that season of temptation. Here's the first thing I would encourage you to do. Establish moral margin. Establish moral margin. Now, we all know what margin is. Margin is having some space between what you have and what you need. It's, it's having some distance that allows you to deal with some of the unforeseen, unexpected things of life. 
And here's what I want to say this morning. Some temptation is unavoidable. But nine times out of ten, when we go through seasons of temptation, we do so because we have put ourselves in a compromising situation. Nine times out of ten. So what is moral margin? Moral margin is putting space between you and temptation. It's putting space and distance between you and temptation. I don't know how many of you heard this past week of the woman from New Zealand who was vacationing on St. Martin Island in the Caribbean. And she decided to do what many people and tourists who go to St. Martin do. She went to the beach, which is located right beside the runway, the airport in St. Martin. And there's a tourist attraction that people often do. It's called jet blasting. The beginning of the runway is only 160 feet from where the beach begins. And there's a fence dividing them. So here's what thrill seekers do. They go out there and they get hold of the fence and hold on for dear life. As that jet gets ready to take off, it creates a whirlwind, a powerful force that is actually the same strength as a Category 3 hurricane. And this week, a woman couldn't hold on. And it blew her into a concrete barrier, and she lost her life. Now, here's the reality. There are a lot of people in life who experience seasons of temptation because we're, they're just like those people who get as close to it as they can, and then they want to hold on. They think, you know what? I can endure this. I I can get through this. I'll be okay. And I think what we should do instead is we should say, what do I need to do to build some moral margin here? If you struggle with the temptation to alcoholism and overindulging, a good place to hang out is probably not a local bar. Moral margin. If you struggle with what you watch on HBO and Cinemax and Showtime, you may want to consider canceling your cable subscription even if you get those channels for free. If the internet is your battle zone and you struggle with what you click on, because most of us are one click away from changing our lives. If that's the battle for you, then you may need to find a content filter or you may need to get a program of accountability and get a friend or two who are getting reports of what you're clicking on. If your struggle is with stealing, I would highly advise you not to try out and become the treasurer of your child's soccer team, okay? I mean, here's the reality. You get the picture. What we, what we should be doing is creating more margin as much as we can. The second thing I think we need to do is we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves and admit to ourselves and to God that I cannot do this without your help, Lord. There's a proverb that many of you are familiar with. It's actually an axiom that many people know who don't know Scripture. And it says pride comes before the fall. Most of us have heard it. Well, here's the Scripture in Proverbs chapter 16. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Here's what this verse is, is telling us. When we become self-sufficient, we become self-deceived, and we risk experiencing self-destruction. That's what this verse is saying. When we become self-sufficient, we can become self-deceived, which will ultimately lead to self-destruction. And so what does he say? Listen, this is what's going to happen. And so James follows it up with this, great wisdom from James chapter 4, verse 7. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. What was James thinking about when he wrote this? James, the half-brother of Jesus. I think James is thinking about the wilderness. He's thinking about Jesus Christ and what he did in the wilderness. And here's what he did. He first of all humbled himself. And then he had the power to resist the devil who ultimately fleed from him. I think the reality is in our lives we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to come to God broken. We've got to come to God saying, Lord, I need you in this season. I can't do it without you. Which brings us to one final thing. Trust in God completely. When we're in seasons of temptation, we shouldn't trust ourselves. We may not even be able to trust some people who we think are friends. We need them, but our trust and our hope has got to be in God. And here's the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what it says. What a great promise. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted more than you can stand, but when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love the promise of this verse. The promise of this verse is this. Even when we struggle to remain faithful to God, God will remain faithful to us. That's God's character. That's God's nature. And so this morning, how do we practice humbling ourselves? How do we practice trusting in God? I think one of the most incredible ways to do it is by coming to the Lord's table, to taking the elements, the bread and the cup, and to do what Scripture tells us to do. So as our band comes this morning, and our hospitality team prepares to serve us with the elements, let me say a couple of things. First of all, we celebrate an open communion here at Grace Crossing Church. That simply means you don't have to be a member of Grace Crossing Church to receive communion. It means this could be your first week here, and you're welcome to partake if you know Christ as your Savior. The idea of communion is the idea that we are reaffirming our faith in Christ. We are recognizing our need of Him. And we are inviting Him into our lives to come and to do a deep work of grace inside of us. I love the promise of Hebrews. Chapter 4. Verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Don't miss this. Yet was 
without sin. That's the difference. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.